Do you hear that? That is the sound of the sea here on the western coast of India. I'm in Goa, which is perhaps one of the most beautiful spots I've been to on this trip. It's not where I last left you. I'm not in Kolkata. To be honest, I've somewhat given up waiting for my Bangladesh visa to ever arrive. I've was in Kolkata for almost two weeks. And despite from the very outset there being a huge amount of positive vibes from the High Commission, the Bangladeshi High Commission, the Bangladeshi government, now that it's come down to it, they've had best part of a month and they are still umming and ahhing. They're saying it's something to do with security and despite me telling them that I've cycled across Pakistan and India and me not telling them that I broke my nose, they still seem to have problems. And this is the flip side to being closely associated with the British diplomatic service, that they're taking me a bit more seriously than a lot of travellers, which in this instance definitely has its downsides, unfortunately. So I decided I would leave Kolkata and instead of twiddling my thumbs there, I would twiddle my thumbs where I can see the shimmering sea in front of me is blue. There's this solid blue line through the horizon. And then just above the sea, it's kind of like this misty white. And right in the center where the sun is shining right down onto the sea, the white of the clouds or the kind of haze on the horizon is almost the same whiteness as bright sun on the sea and the sea has turned from sort of deep teal on the either edge of the horizon to almost um, silver in the center. So that is where I am right now. I'm in a, a bay called Agonda. I chose it very much by chance. I was trying to work out where to go. There are lots of places you can go in North and get South Goa. This is in South Goa and the vibe here is upmarket but very relaxed. There are definitely party beaches, I've been told, and this is more of a hippie yoga retreat family beach. Now, I'd say about 80 to 85% of the people here are Indians. They're Indian tourists coming mostly from Mumbai, Bangalore, some from Delhi, some from Pune. And I know this because I looked through the hotel address book or... Um, guest book rather, and saw where everyone was coming from. Not very many Europeans around, uh, certainly not in the hotel where I am. However, there, there were plenty out on the street. I thought there would be lots of Russians, because everyone said there'd be lots of Russians here. Disappointingly, I've been straining. I've been listening out on all the conversations to hear Russian spoken, and uh, it's been unsuccessful. The closest I got to was mistaking French for Russian, which is concerning. It's, it's a very different place, Goa. I mean, an utterly different place from northern India and particularly from UP. So that is the, the northern states where Varanasi is, Bihar where Patna is. And you'll remember that when mum and I were cycling through uh, these areas, it's incredibly intense. People staring the whole time, people gathering around, feeling like uh, very much under attention and 
very few things were straightforward there. And there's a story that I want to share with you about the night that mum and I got to our night's accommodation in Ara, which just demonstrates how things are never straightforward in northern India. But where I am in Goa, it is more akin to a uh, Spanish hotel experience, let's say, beach experience. Now, the food here is is very interesting and notable, and I, I clocked this as soon as I came, that there were signs for vegan and vegetarian food. And they clearly are catering to a international market. And although it's not really here right now, I've been told that pre-pandemic, that, you know, this place was a huge honeypot for uh, international tourists. And the uh, room prices right now are a testament to that, that a what is currently maybe about £10 a night or less would be in season about £50 a night. And this would be for a beach shack that doesn't have any AC uh, and probably has a lot of mosquitoes and is very basic, going for £50 a night. Right now, it's much less. So I've been spending some of my time swimming and just bopping down into the the water. I've been writing up a, a book proposal and I've been enjoying a life where I can walk about 100 meters from my laptop and be in the water. It is idyllic. I do feel very lucky to be here. It's also been an interesting moment in time because when I first arrived here for two days, I basically didn't speak to anyone. And it's something that's been going on in my mind for quite a bit of time about the kind of interactions that I'm having with people. That very often... They, they're quite stilted and they're quite artificial. So people will know something about me and therefore all the questions are geared in one direction, which isn't really to quote Britain's best or worst boy band, but it's to say that it can be quite difficult to turn the conversation around and particularly when you're not looking to have a conversation in the first place and you're not that interested bluntly in the person you're talking to. It can be quite difficult to... Um, avoid the, the the pointed questions. So here I've quite enjoyed just being anonymous, uh, but that also means that I kind of haven't spoken to anyone and no one has tried to speak to me. And that's also difficult. I realized that what I want most of all is just a chat with my friends who know who I am and we can talk about life rather than a constant series of introductions, which is one of the yeah, one of the beauties of traveling that you get to meet a lot of people. And it's also one of the, I think, challenges of being on the road for a long time is that you, you get tired of having that conversation so often. I am getting to the nub of this story. Do not worry. So after two days of not really talking to anyone, I am getting quite thoroughly bored with my own thoughts, I have to say. Not that much of interest happens between my ears. I decided I would, you know, I needed to talk to some other people. I didn't decide it, actually. I just think the feeling was latent. And I went to one of these vegan vegetarian cafes called Zest that does stone-baked pizzas. It does falafel wraps. It does limonada with crushed, like a slushy, crushed mince, lemon, lime, super lovely drink. It does amazing carrot cake. 
it does cappuccinos and i should say that basically every cafe in this town has a proper coffee machine that's like the only place i found that in india it just gives you a little flavor of the tastes of the people who come here uh, sound like a lot like my tastes so i was in this cafe zest and i saw this guy you know sandy blonde hair quite long hair pulled back working on his tablet and i was sitting next to him and as i came down to my table i saw he was on instagram i was like hey you know what are you doing there and the guy looks up and he's got like two two earrings well one in each ear you know kind of um kind of quite a sculpted face i would say and like a a shirt that's open a few too many buttons and there's quite a bit of chest hair showing um a young guy probably about 33 i think that's young can i still say that's young i mean it's older than i am but it still seems young he says oh hey i'm just doing my business from instagram i was like oh that's cool what are you doing so this guy alex he is a jeweler and he's from australia and he gets and sources his gems in jaipur which is quite close to delhi and for centuries in fact it's been one of the gem cutting hubs if not the hub of the world something like 70% of the uncut gems globally go through jaipur before they are sent on elsewhere and the he was joking that they're sort of artisanal workers which basically means it's one guy in his shack like who has a lifetime of experience doing this but it's like completely un unglamorous and you know without any mod cons but if you call it artisanal then people want to buy it more and it becomes up market so this guy alex he is designing his own jewelry he was studied as a gemologist which sounds like a great career to have he said he like geeks out over the floors and the mineral trace mineral compositions and rocks talking like beryllium and trace oxides and aluminium oxides and copper things and all the different classifications and um he tells me about how although he's lived in india for 6 years he can only export and sell in australia and now that he's trying to sell in india he has to go through a whole another rigmarole of paperwork now because he's from australia and i'm from the uk we find a common point of interest which isn't cricket or rugby but covid and we both start bemoaning the uh, covid regulations the lockdowns that seemingly didn't really take into account the big negative impacts that also has and we were talking about that you know when he went back to australia he didn't see any of his friends for 4 months and yet yeah, those those challenges and then alex starts telling me about his fixer in jaipur the guy who runs around and finds the different gems at the best prices and who can cut what and who's having a chai break right now and all of these important questions He tells me about his fixer in Jaipur. And Jaipur has been gutted by the pandemic. The expat class has left. He said the character of the city has totally changed. It's either the uber rich and the super poor that is left behind and there's there's not much culture in between. And he 
said that um, his his fixer has a son who's 17 years old. And during the pandemic, he found a lump on his leg. And because the family was so scared about going out, going anywhere because of the information that the media had fed them, they waited a very, very long time before seeing what this lump was about. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> and they, they eventually did, and it turned out to be an osteosarcoma. And the 17-year-old son, instead of having his leg amputated below the knee, had it amputated at the hip. And that took out his major passion, which was football. The only time he ever left Jaipur was to go and play tournaments in Delhi. And now his like one escape from Jaipur, his one big passion he can't do. And I was saying it gets worse than that because he started a course of chemotherapy. And of course, it made him feel quite ill. And then when Alex went along and saw his fixer and he was like, how's your son doing? Like, isn't he meant to be in hospital right now? They hadn't sent him back for a second round of treatment because they were like, oh, well, you know, they chopped it off. The chemotherapy makes him feel ill. You know, why, why would we carry on with the chemotherapy? And Alex had to explain to the guys, like, no, the cancer is still there. Like, your son is dead if he doesn't finish the chemotherapy treatment. So the son does, you know, get sent back to hospital and uh, completes his chemotherapy. And then Alex drops in a line, which you don't hear every day. And he said, you know, my Ukrainian friend was wondering if, she could sort a bionic leg out in the UAE. And so apparently if you're, if you're classified as poor in India, you can get treatment in the UAE for like a bionic, a robotic leg. And this it would enable the son to go on and have a, you know, a fairly uh, normal life, perhaps not playing football, but at least able to move around with ease. And Alex was telling me there's one problem here and that is that in order to get this treatment you need to be registered as poor now this household live in one room the kitchen the bed the living room the toilet washroom that is all in one small room and there's a father and three boys living in that so there's no way that they are not poor however the last thing the father wants to do is admit that he is poor. And so he came up with all manner of excuses of saying, oh, well, the paperwork, it will take six weeks. It's never even going to be finished. Why should we bother? I can't, you know, I don't have these documents. And it was a real, real struggle that's still ongoing to persuade the father to register as poor. And then not to mention, it's not just a case of someone coming into the house and going like, yes, these guys are poor. There's a whole load of PDFs that need to be electronically signed and then printed out and then oversigned and then scanned and then sent off. And this never ending maze of paperwork that Alex was experiencing, but as a computer literate guy, this father would have had none of that background. And so he was painting a very bleak picture of what it's like to be caught on the wrong side of the wealth divide here in India. And 
it kind of goes back to the start of our conversation when you're saying, yeah, like my Indian friends, they say everyone has access to education. It's a land of equal opportunity. But that's not true because if you go to a private school here in India where you speak English, your opportunities are going to be massively different to if you go to a government school where you're taught in Hindi. There isn't a straightforward uh, social mobility system in India and, and probably not in any country either. So then Alex asked, well, what do you what do you do? And I thought for a second and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a cycle ride across India and uh, I'm just taking a break here in, in Goa. And the conversation moved on. And you know what? It was really nice just to meet someone, to hear their stories, to have the focus on them, to hear them open up and not be the story myself. And that is something I, I really relished. And it enables me, allows me to kind of hear more about India and get more from the time I have here, making those opportunities, making the most of them. And talking about, talking about making the most of opportunities, I can see the sea out there. It is calling my name and I am going to go surfing. Just the little bit of